Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lexus Enthusiast podcast. My name is Kevin Watts, and I'm the founder and editor of the Lexus Enthusiast website. Today, I'm joined by Toyota Motor Europe Vice President and Head of Lexus Europe, Alain Udenhoven. Welcome. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning also to all the people who will listen to this podcast. Well, thank you for agreeing to be a guest. Uh, Europe is a very interesting market for Lexus. I'm looking forward to getting your insight into uh, how it works and... Because from a North American perspective, uh, there's definitely some questions, you know, how you uh, manage the uh, different regions. But before we get into that, I'd like to get some background into your career. What, what was your path to becoming vice president of Lexus in Europe? Well, it took, took a long time. I'm 54 years old, so um, I have a little bit of uh, uh, background before I came to, to this job. Actually, um, when I was a child, I was interested by aircraft and, and cars that were the two passions of my, my childhood. And um, one day I decided to study engineering. I studied mechanical engineering, I did a bit of aerodynamics. And um, then classically, like many engineers, I, I did an MBA. And uh, the first job of my life was already in, in the car industry. I uh, wanted to become a pilot, but uh, that didn't happen. I'm, I'm glad today uh, that I made the right choice. And uh, I started up with Mercedes-Benz in, uh, in my home country in Belgium, where I worked for, I would say, eight, eight nine years in, in the home country. And then I went to the headquarters in, in Stuttgart. So I stayed 11 years with Mercedes-Benz. Then came an offer from uh, another company, which I couldn't refuse because I thought I would change the world. This was General Motors. I stayed five years with General Motors. It was a difficult time. General Motors in uh, in European subsidiary, but I learned a lot how to work under pressure. And after five years, while I didn't believe that uh, this would be the right the right place for the rest of my life, I started to look around. And best offer came from uh, Toyota at that time. And uh, now I've been uh, in November. I will have been 11 years with uh, Toyota. At Toyota, I did a, a few jobs. I started with uh, with customer service. Uh, which was very interesting because you uh, you know how customers feel uh, about your cars, uh, I would say, on an everyday basis. <laughs> After three years in that job, I was asked to uh, lead the German subsidiary of Toyota uh, in, in Europe uh, for, for Toyota and Lexus. And uh, when I came back, I went back to product planning, which had been one of my jobs with the previous employers. And after the job in product planning, um, I was asked by the management of Toyota Europe if I wouldn't take Lexus to the next level. So that's how I came to Lexus, but uh, was a long and winding road, I would say. <laughs> well, you ended up where you're supposed to be, I suppose, right? Maybe, um, yes. <laughs> For some perspective, uh, how do you manage all of the different regions in, in Europe? Uh, I imagine it's it's quite a bit different than say the states in the U.S. or provinces, and I mean they're separate countries. How does that all work? When you say Europe, the first thing that I tend to say to people who don't live in Europe is that there is no Europe uh, as far as the car industry is is concerned. If you want to uh, to have a perspective at it, we have 56 countries in the region Europe, and if you look at the stretch of Europe, it would go from Vladivostok, which is a few hundred kilometers from Japan and it goes to Reykjavik in Iceland, and it goes from Lapland to Gran Canaria. That's approximately the, let's say, the, uh, the stretch of, uh, of the region. Some people say that the distance from London to Los Angeles is shorter than the distance from London to Vladivostok, just to give a perspective on, on that. That's Europe, that's Europe from a geographic point of view. 
then you have a legal point of view, uh, which means that even if within the EU you have converging rules on many things, like emissions, for example, uh, which are applied to all the countries, you still have fiscal rules that are that are very different. I will have an example later on with uh, uh, maybe the the two liter turbo which we have just introduced. But the legal, uh, if legal is converging, the tax regulations of all the countries are still still very different. Some countries have rules that are CO2 based, others uh, that are engine capacity based, others have um, a huge price difference between fuel price for diesel and petrol. In other countries, diesel is more expensive than, than petrol and so on. So it's kind of a galaxy of, uh, of different countries with common rules, but I guess there are probably more differences than, than commonalities sometimes. So it's very different, to come back to your question, uh, to the United States, where I'm aware of differences, of course. California is being very different from, from the other states. But uh, there are probably more common points in the United States among all, all the federal states than there are in Europe. Do you need to reach consensus among all of your markets? Or with considering future plans, do you need to be able to have a, a unified voice? Or do, you speak, do each of them speak on their own? How does the, the sort of the infrastructure work? Well, the purpose of, um, of Toyota Europe and Lexus Europe is basically to have one voice for Europe. But behind that one voice for Europe, there are many smaller voices that are sometimes converging, sometimes diverging. But uh, if you look at the complexity of managing Europe from Japan, probably it's a big help for them if we can summarize and if we can prioritize. Um, one thing that I would say is that if you look at today's situation in the 56 countries that we are serving, which we have grouped in 36 different markets, there are 12 markets that make more than 85% of the volume of Lexus in, in Europe because many countries, for example, have very high taxes on luxury cars. Some other countries have no difference between normal and luxury cars. So I would say there's a high concentration of the market in, in 12 countries and of course, we take all differences into account, but we tend to prioritize, and then the, the top 12 countries would be the ones that, that get the stronger voice just because of the volume that they can develop. You know, speaking on the current lineup, uh, the NX is really driving sales across all of the regions that you have. Do you see this vehicle as a tipping point for Lexus in Europe? Well, uh, if you look at today's volume, I would definitely talk about the tipping point. You're right. Uh, the NX today represents... I would say 40% plus of our total volume. It's the first year of the vehicle, and the vehicle is a smashing hit in uh, in the European market. So yes, it might be a tipping point for for Lexus. It's probably, with the exception of the of the CT, maybe the first vehicle that has been more designed around the European market than uh, probably around the US market. And then this new two-liter turbo that's being introduced. It's coming to the RC, the IS, uh, it's the GS. Uh. Do you see that having a big impact on sales? Yes, but I will have to make a difference. We used to have a V6 2.5 liter engine, which was a good engine. But as you know, in, in Europe, uh, we have CO2 regulations in many countries. We have uh, regulations around engine capacity. And I will give you uh, maybe uh, two or three examples. This engine has been primarily designed for the US market, where it replaces the, the V6 2.5 liter. But this engine is helping us big time in Europe. Uh, for example, in, uh, in Russia, 
where IndianX is the, the most sold engine, where in Western Europe, uh, EU countries, uh, it would be more the hybrid. So in, in Russia, it's, it's the best seller. But even in the EU, we still have some countries which have a limitation at 2.0 liter of engine capacity. I will give you an example, Poland. And with the 2-liter turbo in Poland, we just come below a threshold in, uh, in tax. And therefore, this is becoming nearly the best-selling engine now because we are right in the, uh, I would say, in the tax scale of, uh, of Poland. So, big help for us in, in Europe. It's, uh, it's very, uh, very smooth, very, very sporty to drive engine, particularly in, uh, I would say, in RC and the IS and uh, the GS as well. But on the other hand, it fits perfectly in some of the tax scales of, of some of the countries, and therefore it uh, generates a lot of volume. Well, you just mentioned hybrid. Uh, in, in much of Europe, particularly in, in the Western part of Europe, uh, you, you considered a hybrid first brand. It's practically all that you sell. What are the pros and cons of being identified with a specific technology like that? If we are hybrid first, I would say we are nearly hybrid exclusive in uh, in Western Europe. Just to, to mention one figure, we sell 98% uh, of all our cars in Western Europe with hybrid engines. The main reason for that is changing slightly in some countries like Poland, as I as I explained, but uh, in in the whole of Europe, it's uh, it's above it's above 95% at, at at this stage. The reason for that is that uh, Europe has initiated some years ago a new legislation, which are CO2-based, and all car manufacturers have committed to decrease CO2. Most of our competitors have decided to go for the diesel technology, and Lexus has decided to go for probably uh, uh, the technology of, uh, of the Toyota Group, which is, which is the hybrid uh, technology, which helps us to achieve similar levels, if not better level of, uh, of CO2, but at the same time probably is much better on, uh, on other emissions like NOx and, and so on. So we are trying to make a difference by using a, a different technology, and as far as we are concerned, this is the mainstream technology. If you look at the total of Europe, hybrid still represents two-thirds of our sales, and I would say where we sell less hybrids is probably in the eastern part of Europe. A country like Russia would probably sell between 15 and 20% of hybrid, being the high-tech version, with probably less focus on reducing emissions, but probably more on having, um, I would say, a high-end, high-tech uh, type of uh, motorization in, in the car. Considering recent events, uh, would you say that the lack of diesel offerings in the Lexus lineup uh, has maybe been a blessing in disguise? No, uh, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, the, the diesel technology will continue to exist, and the diesel technology makes certainly uh, a, a lot of, of sense. Now, in a way, it might help us uh, as a differentiating element. Uh, let's be honest, when uh, in 2005, the first RX400 hybrid uh, initiated the hybrid technology in, in the luxury segment and the premium segment in, uh, in the world and in Europe, some of our competitors had a bit of a smile. Now what we see is that there is more and more offering of hybrids uh, in, uh, in Europe, also because of the, uh, of the U.S. market. So it's a confirmation that probably we were right, a little bit ahead of the, uh, of the pack, but we were certainly right in offering this, uh, this technology. Does every new car, I mean, this is an awfully broad question, but 
Does every new car released by Lexus need to have an appeal across all countries, all regions, or is there an opportunity for regional niche vehicles? We, we do we do have this. Indirectly, we have cars that are only sold in part of, uh, of the region. I will take an example. If you take the LX, uh, we are going to sell the, uh, the LX, uh, and we do sell the LX in, uh, in the eastern part of Europe, where it makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's a frame with a body on, on it. Uh, it's the car with which you can go anywhere in probably the highest level of comfort. Now, if you take the same car and you put it in Western Europe, uh, probably this car has no potential market just because of the level of emissions and the size of the engine that it has. Uh, space is also perceived in, in a different way in, in Europe. If you see the LX in the US or in Russia, in the landscape, it has the perfect size. If you see it in the middle of uh, Italian city, it probably looks uh, a little bit oversized, uh, just to, to take an example. So. Even within Europe, uh, there are there are certain vehicles that uh, are only uh, sold in in certain parts of Europe. Now, what do you think about uh, small city cars? Do you believe that something like the LFSA concept uh, could be successful in Europe, but without compromising what people expect from the brand? Well, I believe in in well, first first the LFSA was was a show car. It was an attempt to show a little bit where Lexus could go, probably to at the lowest level in terms of size, but not in terms of sophistication. I believe, at least in Europe, looking at the fact that the cities are becoming the place where people want to live, and therefore the increase of uh, of the cost of living as far as real estate is concerned in big cities like Paris, like London, like Berlin, and so on. Probably the cars will have to adapt to the size of uh, of the city, and we have a lot of people in Europe who also maybe because of the smartphones, maybe because of the technology, do not see size as being in direct relation with prestige. You can have a very small device. Actually, the smaller your telephone will be in the future, the more exclusive it might become. So this is the way people might think in in the future. So. You don't need to own a big car to own a premium car, and you see that in in Europe, we call that uh, downsizing without downgrading. Some of the uh, of our competitors, the German brands, are very successful with cars that have small size and have a very very high level of uh, of equipment in terms of luxury, in terms of safety, and 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 so on. Particularly, I would say there is a a, a female uh, clientele for uh, for those cars because they don't believe they need to own a, a big car, but they still want to drive it in style. Is there a specific vehicle that's missing from the lineup that would help growth in, in Europe? You can divide that up by market, but uh, maybe in general. Well, I'm not going to talk about future vehicles, uh, <laughs> of, of like you might imagine. You will have to come back for that. We have we have a long story to tell. We have an interesting pipeline uh, coming, definitely. What, what I can tell you is that if you look at Europe, probably more Western Europe, which is still the, the bigger part in, in, in the total luxury market of, of Europe, which is approximately 3 million cars every, every year. In these 3 million cars, more than half, actually it's close to 60% of the cars that are sold, are sold below 40,000 euros. So it's kind of 45,000 uh, US dollars. So, with the exception of the CT, all our cars are on the uh, on the upper side of that of that limit of, of forty thousand euro. So, at the moment, we only reach uh, I would say the upper part of the uh, of the luxury or the premium market. So, there are many segments where we could be present. Now, 
What is important to say is that Lexus as a brand was born with a, with a big car. So we started the brand cascading from, from the top and not from the bottom. Many brands have started with a small car and then tried to go upmarket. So we will be very, very careful in, in the way we are going to deploy the brand in, in other segments in, in the future. But as I said before, uh, we will need more conversation in the future to tell you more about, about these future plans. It's one of those questions I have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> nothing wrong with asking, nothing wrong for me to, uh, to say that. Uh, oh, of course, yep. More, more coming soon, but uh, not today. I want to divide this question up because, as you said, Europe has many markets. I want to make sure that I'm correct in saying that you would consider, say, the West, Western Europe and then Russia as the two major markets. Would you agree with that? Yes, that's, that's okay. true. When we talk about Eastern Europe, we talk mainly about Russia. This is the, uh, I would say, uh, the, 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 big, uh, the big market for us in the Eastern part. But we sell in, in other markets which you might not directly associate with, uh, with Europe, like Kazakhstan, like uh, Uzbekistan, for example, in the Caucasus part, which have been allocated to, to Europe because it makes a lot of sense because of their uh, previous relationship with, uh, with Russia. Uh, in, uh, I would say, in the communist time. Yes, uh, the eastern part of Europe, I would say, has a product mix which is very close to the, to the United States of America, just, just because of, of the size of, of the country, just because of the size of the streets, etc. All these countries have probably been built at a later stage, do not have all these medieval uh, cities that, uh, that we have in, uh, in, in Western Europe. They have a rich history, but not the city in the same size and so on. Um, so they would be a lot closer. There is very little legislation around uh, fuel consumption. Therefore, big engines like our 5.7 liter engine in the LX is, uh, is more than welcome in all these countries and, and so on. And if you look at Western Europe, you have the cities, you have the history I just mentioned, but also this priority that's been set by the EU uh, to reduce the CO2 and therefore uh, the type of engine and motorization that you need. With that, what would you say the biggest challenge in those two markets is? Well, if I take uh, Western Europe to start with, where we are a, a small contender in Western Europe. Europe is the home of the luxury car makers. I mean, uh, with a few exceptions in the world, most of the uh, luxury car makers were, were born uh, here in, in Europe. I believe it's historically fair to, uh, to say that. Now, on top of that, you have what we call the German tree, or what the industry calls the, the, the German tree, the, the Audi, BMW, and Mercedes. It's their home market, and they probably have like 75% among them uh, of the total premium market in Europe. So sometimes I, I say with a smile that um, this, is, uh, this is a high competitive set that we face in, in Western Europe, where if you compare that with the United States, it's probably... Uh, different situation because everybody started more or less on on equal terms or nearly on, on on equal terms, even if the German manufacturers have a longer history. And this is why Lexus is probably at eye level with with them. In Europe, it's very different. These German three have a, a huge competition amongst them because they are chasing volume. They have all set targets to become the first at uh, two million cars in the world. And the biggest luxury market in the world is, is Europe. So they have, they have to take a certain part of that volume here in Europe. We have decided as, uh, as Lexus that we would not try to be the biggest, 
in, in the world, maybe, but certainly not in Europe. But we want to be the best in terms of the way we serve customers. And this is where we're going to make the point of differentiation. So for Western Europe, we are growing. I mean, this year we are growing by 25%. Last year, we were growing by 20%. So there is very positive momentum for, for Lexus. But we have a huge distance to catch in terms of, uh, of volume. So we will remain exclusive for a long time in, uh, in Western Europe, more exclusive than our competitors. In Russia, I would say it's slightly different because our market share is probably half of that of the uh, German tree contenders that, that we have. But because of the adequation of the product portfolio, which was originally developed around the U.S. market and, and the similarities between the Russian and the U.S. market that I just evoked earlier, uh, in, in Russia, our relative position, competitive position, is, is very different. And, uh, and there we can pursue probably more of a volume uh, strategy than, uh, than we would do in, in Western Europe. So for both markets, common point, we have a growth strategy. For the Russian market, we probably have a higher starting point, uh, which would help us to, uh, to develop big volumes. To give you a, a feeling, Russia represents approximately one-third of our total sales in Europe. This is the part of the interview where I ask you some reader questions. Uh, the first one is from Lassie, and he, he wonders, um, since the introduction of Lexus in uh, 1989, have the differences in taste between European and American customers increased or decreased? I would say in some terms they have converged. Uh, if you look at elements like safety, I would see a lot of uh, common points. If I look at the way that people use their cars, uh, it's still different uh, in terms of uh, in terms of use of cars for example uh, if you go to germany speed is unlimited some of our cars have top speed which is limited at 180 190 kilometers an hour which makes you an outlaw in most of the countries in the world but if you drive in germany and you drive at 180 you better to look from time to time in your mirror to see if nobody's going to come so that's that's a, a, a difference which is important. The size of the vehicles, as I said, the landscape in the United States has uh, a lot more uh, room for, for big cars than, uh, than you would find in, in Western Europe. Western Europe cars tend to be, uh, to be smaller. There are cafe rules, what you call cafe rules, which we call CO2 rules in, on, on both sides. But I, I would say uh, the incentives in the U.S. are more on the manufacturer side to bring solutions. The uh, incentive in, in Western Europe are more on the consumer side to buy cars that uh, offer new technologies that have lower CO2 values and so on. So the way the, way the two markets are converging towards less, uh, I would say, less impact on the planet is, uh, is slightly different. So if I had to summarize that, I probably believe that there is more convergence between the, uh, the European, the Chinese, and the Japanese market than there would be convergence at this moment with the U.S. market. And when you look at today's oil price, I mean gas price in, in, in the U.S., you see that there is a huge revival of pickup trucks and so on because fuel is, is cheap again. So I think it will take that, uh, that fuel costs will, will be also converging between all the regions. Uh, before people start to have really converging tastes. That's my small analysis. Well, thank you. Uh, the next question uh, is from uh, Lexus Tech SA, and it's probably a question you hear all the time. Uh, do you think that Lexus will ever use a manual transmission again? 
Well, all cars, all cars need a form of, uh, of transmission. But uh, if you look at Western Europe, for example, we use hybrid technology for 98% of our cars. So transmission is, uh, or the, the issue of transmission is solved in a slightly different way, which is half electric, half, uh, half me mechanical. So from that point of view, I would say in Western Europe, we are probably going to drive in the future more automatic than, uh, than manual. Manual transmission is a little bit of an archaism. If, uh, if you look at uh, all the devices in our society, we're now used to cell phones with only one button. Easy to use is something that we like wherever you go on, on the planet. But it's true to say that European manufacturers still sell a lot of cars with manual transmissions, and European customers still believe that it's something good. It's very much the case for engines with small capacity because uh, I would say uh, automatic transmission, as you know, uh, takes a little bit of, of the power. But now if you move up market, what you see in Western Europe is that, is that more and more people are going towards uh, automatic transmission. Why? Because automatic transmission has become much better than they were uh, probably in the 50s, the 60s and, and, and later. So the difference in performance between the two transmissions uh, will will become smaller and smaller, and probably manual transmission might have a tendency to uh, to disappear. Where they will stay, in my eyes, is probably with extreme uh, sports cars, where where it's better. It's like uh, I would say it's like in, in in Formula One or in other racing categories. At the end of the day, these transmissions are are still manual. But the activation of the transmission is now electric, so it's still a manual transmission, but you don't have a gear shift as you, as you had in the past. So probably decreasing, uh, but we might keep uh, maybe a manual transmission in one of our extreme versions, which would make sense from a pure performance point of view. Absolutely. It doesn't, because it's a tra uh, manual transmission, doesn't necessarily need, mean that you need a, a gear shift. It's very true. Yes. Uh, the last reader question uh, is from uh, Chair HC, and he believes that the size between the RX and the NX, uh, there's room now still for a smaller SUV, uh, for example, a, a Lexus version of the Toyota CHR. Do you see any possibility that Lexus would be building something that's smaller than the NX? What I told you is that we're not going to talk about future product. I say that with a big smile. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the other point, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, is that half of the premium car market in Europe is below 40,000 euros. So there are many segments that uh, Lexus could, could explore. It's one of them, but it's only one of, uh, of many where we are not present at the moment. So as you can see, there's a lot of expansion territory for uh, for Lexus in, in the future. That's the best answer probably I can make today. That's a very good answer. It's, uh, it, it hits all the right buttons for sure. Uh, two final questions. Uh, what Lexus are you driving right now? I'm driving the, uh, the RX, the, uh, the old, uh, old RX model. This is my, I would call it my family car. I have two boys. They are 17 and 19 years old. They have a lot of sports activities. So it's the most practical car that I can have. I'm waiting for the new RX to come. We'll be there in, uh, in December, but uh, probably my car will only be replaced beginning of next year because we reserve the first cast for, uh, for our customers. And then I have to tell you one thing. Because I'm working for Lexus, I have access to all the toys. So when I, when I want to drive something else, uh, I find a way to, uh, to do it.
Yeah, the question actually used to be what uh, what Lexus do you own right now? But everybody kind of said the same thing. <laughs> I could you know <laughs> basically drive whatever I what? want. So. <laughs> when, and, when, when you work when you work on in, in the car industry, this is one of uh, of the benefits that you have the opportunity to drive uh, many of your own products. But we do also exchange cars with uh, with our competitors, and uh, this gives you the opportunity to drive uh, to drive cars from the competition and just to to see where you are and to see where the strengths and the weaknesses of uh, of all car manufacturers. And then, final question: Outside of the LFA, what's your favorite Lexus of all time? Whoa! Uh, <laughs> outside of the LFA, well, I will never own an LFA probably because they've all been sold. Well, I haven't driven the GSF uh, except in, in in prototype stage, so I, I can't really speak for it. But uh, I must say that we were last winter in the south of Spain with the RCF, and uh, we had invited. Uh, Potential customers and uh, I stayed uh, I stayed three days with uh, with these customers and every day at the end of the day when everything was finished, I had a chance to drive it on uh, on the track. I must say it was an exciting time, um, but I don't drive it uh, I don't drive it uh, every day here in in Brussels for practical reasons um, and also because we don't have too many of them because it's the first year of sales and they are reserved for for customers at this moment. Well, Alan, thank you very much for being on my podcast. It's very much appreciated. Thank you, Kevin, and see you soon in one of our events. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.